Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, thank you for your prayers last week. Um, some of you will know I was in Colchester last week preaching at Redeemer Church there, and it was a real joy. It was so encouraging to see uh, the church in action, to see that ha- them having multiplied to two services because of um, coronavirus restrictions. They're now, God's adding to their numbers each week, which is so exciting to see. And we've played a part in that as a church over the years. We've sent people from this church, we've prayed, we've given money, uh, we've seen our, we've played a part in that. And it's so exciting. That's going to be the case for us much more in the years to come. We really do believe that God has a great impact for us here locally and beyond as well. Our vision is to make Jesus famous in Ipswich and in the nations. It's not just about this town, although we really want to see God do huge things here, but we're also expecting big things beyond here as well. And so from time to time, that will mean I'm not here. So last week, preaching uh, in Colchester in a few weeks' time. uh, On the 18th, I'm speaking at a church here in Ipswich that's uh, looking in at possibly joining our relational mission family of churches, uh, which is really exciting. Uh, We as a family of churches have a huge vision. We want to see hundreds of churches planted in the coming years, Uh, many more uh, dozens of churches here in the UK, uh, hundreds across Europe, which really, if you know much of about uh, mainland Europe is in vast areas a spiritual wasteland really. Uh, We want to see God do incredible things across the continent of Europe and into the other continents of the world as well. We've got a big vision. It's a vision that's way too big for us in terms of a family of churches, 70 odd churches uh, with you know limited resources but we're trusting God, believing that he's with us and as we sung this morning that there's greater things to come and uh, our hope is not in what we have in our hands but what he has in his hands. Amen. That's good news, isn't it? So we're excited about what God has for us here and beyond as well. Uh, Just on the local scene, um, just this afternoon, um, you will have heard from Luke. He came and shared earlier on um, those verses from John's Gospel. Uh, He and Anne South and a few others are getting together at 3.30 here to go... And to hit the streets and to take Jesus to people, whoever they might encounter on the way. So if you want to come and do that, get here for 3.30 and come rain or shine, uh, it's going to be a big adventure and I'm sure God's going to do wonderful things. Also on the local front, in two weeks' time, on the 11th of July, we have another opportunity to give into our journey, as it were, as we head towards our new building, uh, which we'll be going into in September. And if you're not aware already, we have a target of £100,000. We have a shortfall of about £30,000 that we want to raise, but then we want to bring some things forward, which we had considered that we might do later down the line, but we now would like to do. Um, So it's been a joy over these last last couple of weeks to do some tours with people. A number of you have had a chance to look around and uh, you can see it's almost there. We're almost there and uh, we're really confident we're going to be able to be in by the end of September. Um, But we want to raise this money in a couple of weeks time. Maybe you've never given into an offering like this before and you just wonder how on earth do you decide what to give? Well, you can just start by praying. You can start by asking God. Uh, If you're married, you can talk to your spouse. Make sure you do that. Make sure you don't give. And then your spouse asks you a couple of days later, why is this money gone from our account? Make sure you do that. Um, But ask God and, and ask him to grow you in generosity. That's his heart for all of us. It's a prayer that he wants to honor. And uh, come ready, let's come ready on the 11th of July to give, not with kind of reluctance in our hearts. Um, I don't want anyone to come thinking I ought to do this and everyone else is doing it so I ought to. Now let's come with, with glad hearts and come ready to give outrageously on the 11th of July. Wonderful. Well, 
Let's get into today's message, shall we? We're going to be in Luke chapter 23. As Anna said at the beginning of this meeting, we're coming into land. We've got a few more messages left in this epic series in the Bible book of Luke. And today's message is called Suffering Paradise and the Outrageous Mercy of Jesus. I wonder how you respond to suffering in your life when the, when the dial of hardship is, is turned up. I wonder how you respond. I wonder how you responded in March last year when the Prime Minister said, you must stay at home. You must only go out when you go shopping or for exercise. I wonder how you responded then. I wonder how you responded at Christmas time when we all had these great plans and then suddenly two days before Christmas we were told, you can't do any of that. I wonder how you responded. I wonder how you respond when you received that diagnosis and it kind of causes all this kind of anxiety within. I wonder how you respond when you receive that phone call from a friend and there's that relational difficulty or there's that breakdown in trust. I wonder how you respond when the job seems to be uncertain and you're not quite sure where the money's going to come from. I want to say today that there's, there's two responses to suffering really that happen in the world. We're going to see that, I believe, in today's passage, crystal clear. There's two ways to respond to suffering. And we're going to also see the outrageous mercy of Jesus for people like you and me who have messed up again and again in our lives. We're going to see out the outrageous mercy of Jesus. So let's read today's passage, which picks up from where Tommy Oyabadejo left off last week, where he covered the Uh, the trial of Jesus, where Jesus was before Pilate, the Roman governor. And Pilate didn't find any wrong in Jesus, but the religious leaders had stirred up the people to shout, crucify him. And so Barabbas, the criminal, was released and Jesus was imprisoned and uh, was was sentenced to death. And this is what we're going to see in today's passage. It's holy ground that we're walking on today. This is huge in history. Let's read from verse 26. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. Throughout Luke's gospel, we see that women played a key part in Jesus's community. They were supporting Jesus and his disciples. They were the ones who stuck by Jesus until the very end. Only the disciple John stuck by Jesus of his 12. The rest were the women that uh, were part of Jesus's crowd. They were the first at the grave. We see this again and again in Luke's gospel. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus is once again prophesying that Jerusalem is going to get ransacked by the Romans. It happened a few decades after this. And he's saying it'll be better in those days if you don't have children around. It's going to be horrific. And the temple that was the epicenter of Jewish religion was going to get completely raised to the ground. And he's saying it'll be better, guys, if you didn't have children. It's going to be horrific. 
Everything that you know about worship is going to be turned upside down because Jerusalem's going to get ransacked. And he's saying, if, if this would happen to me as a, as a tree that produces good fruit, what's going to happen to the dry tree that hasn't produced good fruit, i.e. the nation of Israel? He's, he's prophesying the downfall of Jerusalem here. And two, other, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, that's what Calvary means, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time, it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Just try and picture that in your minds. It's midday and it goes dark. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. And when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. Other translations will say they went home beating their chests, which was their cultural thing that they did when they were really heartbroken. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we recognize that this is the most crucial moment in all history and this is holy ground that we're walking on. And we want to ask you, Father, that for those of us here and those of us watching on from home, that you would come and do a heart work in us today. For those that know you and have known you for years, and for those that are looking on, Lord, would you come and do a heart work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Suffering, paradise, and the outrageous mercy of Jesus. So we see here two criminals were crucified either side of Jesus. They had an identical situation. They may have even been partners in crime and they're both facing their deaths. They're in an identical situation and yet their responses couldn't be more different to each other. This shows us really that there are only two ways to respond to suffering. The first is to rail against God and to say, if you really are powerful, 
if you really are all loving, then you would let me off this cross right now. Then you would get me out of this situation right now. If you really are who you say you are, then get me out of here. It's kind of an anger. It's kind of a bitterness against the situation. Now, many people wouldn't express it like that because many people will say they don't believe there is a God. But deep down, there's actually a resentment towards God for the things that have happened in their lives. Deep down, there is a resentment of God has let me down. He's allowed me to go through some really awful stuff. And so deep down, that is the response. If you really cared, if you really were all loving, then you wouldn't allow me to go through this. That's response number one. And response number two is to acknowledge that actually we don't deserve any good thing. That actually, because of the mess we've made of our lives and the things that we've done in offense to God, we don't deserve any good thing. And in acknowledging that, we then humbly come to God with a cry for help and mercy. They're the two ways to respond to suffering. There is no other way, really. It's either anger and bitterness and railing against God. How could you let this happen to me? Or there's a a humble acknowledgement of, I deserve worse than this, actually. And I now come to you for help in my time of need. We see two very clear responses here. And so that first segment of humanity that would rail against God and be angry and bitter towards God for the suffering that they're enduring might actually get to the point when they think, I'm going to try God. I'm going to try God out. And, and, And I might try God out and see if he'll get me out of this situation that I'm in. And over the seven and a bit years that I've been in church leadership, I've seen people come and go who have thought, I'm going to try God. I'm going to try God, a bit like using the jack from the boot of my car. I'm going to get that jack out. It's an ugly thing. I don't really want to see it most of the time. But when I really need it, I'm going to get it out and I'm going to jack my car up and change my tire. And then I'm going to put it away again, never to be seen again. Get me out off this cross, Jesus, was the, was the first criminal's response. Come on, Jesus, if you're really a good jack, get me off this cross. And, and he would have taken anything to get him off that cross. There wasn't a sense in which he saw Jesus to be who he really was. It was, get me out of here. And I want to use you to get to what I want, which is comfort and, and ease of life. And once I'm done, once I'm off this, I'm putting you away back in the boot where you belong. That's the first kind of response. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'm going to try God out because of the messy relationship that I've found myself in. I'm going to try God out because I'm currently needing employment. I'm going to try God out because I'm stuck in this addiction. Or I'm going to try God out because I've got this ailment. And as soon as I'm fixed, I'm going to put him to one side again and I'm going to carry on the life that I want to live. Because we all want comfort, don't we? We want comfort and ease. And sometimes suffering comes along. In fact, for all of us, listen, suffering will come along. You can... You can do your utmost to protect yourself from suffering. You can build up a great bank account. You can eat healthy food and exercise well. You can wrap your kids up in cotton wool. But at some point, suffering is going to come. At some point, something's going to come your way that's going to shock you out of the kind of ease and comfort you're in. And you're going to ask the question, why? And the thought might come to your mind, of, I'm going to try God and see if he might get me out of this situation. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you've been coming for weeks because you think, if I 
try God out. He's going to make my life easy and comfortable again. But there's no kind of sorrow or repentance in your heart thinking, I've made a mess of my life. I've, I've disobeyed God. I've walked in the opposite direction to him all my life. And my life is a mess. There's no sorrow or repentance there. There wasn't for this first criminal. He just wanted Jesus to get him off the cross. He would have taken any king if it meant he could get off the cross. And for the second criminal, there was a humility. He firstly rebukes the first criminal, doesn't he? He says, what are you talking about? Don't you even fear God? He, he rightly feared God. He, he saw that God was, was his creator and God didn't owe him anything. God didn't owe him a life of comfort and ease. And that actually the pot can't fight against the potter and win. That actually railing against God is like an ant kicking Mount Everest and saying, get out of my way. I want to move. I want to come this way. He, he had a right fear of God. So he rebuked the first criminal and he admitted his wrongdoing. He said, we've done wrong. We've done wrong. We deserve this. Many people don't want to admit that they do wrong. Many people might say, yeah, I, I, you know, I have my scars. I have my things that I do wrong, but I'm a virtuous person, really. I'm a good person, really. And social media is, is full of people signaling that they are good people. I don't know if you have friends like this. I have many dear friends who I love dearly and yet who are caught up in this thing of, I need to tell everyone that I'm really virtuous. I need to tell everyone that I like the right things and that I do the right things. Because as a society, we've left behind the fear of God. We've left behind Jesus and, and his perfect covering that we heard from Tommy last week. How he covers us perfectly. As we've, as we've even sung and heard sung this morning, he covers us. And when we leave that behind, we think, I've got to justify myself. I've got, everyone's got to know that I'm a good person. I've got friends who, who post uh, pictures of their electric car all the time because they want everyone to know they are caring for the environment. Oh, praise God, you know, get an electric car if you feel you want to get an electric car, great. But it's, it's just like holding up an umbrella to a, a tsunami if you think that that's going to, you know, make you righteous before God. That's going to cover you. I've got a friend who posts books all the time up on her Instagram of books that she's reading of people from other cultures because she wants everyone to know that not only is she not racist, but actually she's so virtuous that she reads only now people from different cultures so that she's not some sort of kind of, you know, white, privileged white supremacist or whatever. And she wants everyone to know, I'm reading this book and you should, if you want to be virtuous too, you should read these books too. Praise God for those books. Read them if you want to. But it's like holding up a, an umbrella against a tsunami. Whatever it might be that you think, if I do this or if I signal how virtuous I am because I look after the environment or I'm against racism or I'm pro-justice uh, for whatever it might be, posting pictures up of yourself on Instagram with poor children from another country, whatever, it's not going to stack up because we have all failed and all fallen short. And as we heard from Tommy last week, we need a perfect covering because our covering has holes all over it. Our covering has leaks all over it. And so no, no matter how virtuous we try and be or try and present ourselves to the world, we fall short. And this second criminal knew that. He knew he wasn't fooling Jesus. He knew that he, was, he had lived his life in rebellion against God. He knew, I have messed up again and again. 
and he acknowledged his wrongdoing. And thirdly, he, he, he acknowledged Jesus' perfection. He said, this man's done no wrong. That's important. It's important that we acknowledge the perfection of Jesus. As we heard from Anna at the outset of this meeting, that he was tested and tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. Every way that we are, he was tempted, really tempted, to the full, and yet was without sin. It's so important we acknowledge Jesus was perfect in every way. And this criminal, he acknowledged Jesus' perfection. Fourthly, he acknowledged that Jesus is the king of a kingdom. Now, Jesus didn't look very kingly at this point. He's naked. The soldiers have stripped him naked, and they're now gambling for his clothes. He's covered in blood. He's got a crown of thorns jammed into his head. People have spat on him, and they're jeering at him, mocking him. He doesn't look much like a king to worldly eyes. And yet, to those who have eyes to see, this is the king in all his glory. This is the king who, in such glory, would even pray in the moment where where the dial of suffering is turned up high, the most agonizing situation that anyone could face. He is certain to die, and he's not dying peacefully. People are mocking him, spitting on him, jeering at him. In that moment, he prays, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's the king. That's the king. There's something hugely powerful and kingly about this man on the cross. And the second criminal, he sees this. He sees there's something kingly about this man, despite all of the things that in the world's eyes look pathetic. They look pathetic. And yet this is glorious king on the cross. He recognizes that Jesus is a king with a kingdom. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He pleads for help. He pleads for help. He says, remember me. Both these criminals faced suffering. They faced their deaths. And yet one was railing against God, angry in his heart, would take anything to get him off that cross. He would use it and then dump it. The other criminal, he realized his life was heading in completely the wrong direction and that all his life he had rebelled against the creator of the universe. What's your response when suffering comes? Is it to rail against God? Is it to say, how dare you let me go through this? Is it to say, if you really are loving and powerful, then you would get me out of here? Or is it to say, Lord, I, I don't really deserve any better. And so I'm pleading, would you help me? Would you, with your mercy, would you help me? Would you, would you give me what I need in this situation? Some just want... Some just want Jesus to get them back to a place of comfort. They don't want Jesus. Some even love the church. They love the community. But as soon as, as, soon as there's talk of coming into the kingdom, coming under Jesus' kingship, run a mile. Maybe you're there today in that place thinking, I love what I see here. These people are so kind to me. 
They're generous to me. But I don't want to come under a king. I want to be my own king. Where are you at today? Let's see how Jesus responds here, shall we? This is outrageous mercy. This criminal on the cross next to him has lived a life of rebellion against God. We don't know what his crimes were, but whatever he did, it was serious enough to be leading to execution. It was probably that he was a thief or a murderer or both. Maybe he, maybe he was the kind of guy who would jump on someone on a road, leave them half dead and steal their stuff. Maybe he was that kind of guy. All his life lived in rebellion against God, not acknowledging God. And Jesus says to him, today I assure you, you will be with me in paradise. This is outrageous, friends. This is absolutely outrageous. This is the gospel. This is Jesus. This is what he does. This is what he does. He shows grace. He shows love. He shows mercy to people who are not just undeserving, but who are ill-deserving, who deserve the complete opposite of grace and mercy. He shows mercy. This is our Jesus. This is our King, friends. This is the one that we're going to celebrate as we have bread and juice in a little while and celebrate what he's done for us. This is our Jesus. He says, you will be with me today in paradise. There's a, an old church creed that says that he descended into hell. Like, talks about those two nights that he's in the grave, that he descended into hell. It's not biblical. It's not there in the scriptures. Today, you will be with me in paradise. He went, as he uh, lifted up his spirit to his God, he went to be in the presence of God, in paradise the Apostle Paul says to be apart from the body is to be with God. So when a Christian dies, their soul goes immediately to be with God in paradise. That's, you're, you're immediately in the presence of God. You, you, you're not kind of in this purgatory kind of limbo thing. No, you go immediately to be in the presence of God. So we don't mourn like those who have no hope. That's what the Bible says. Because we, we've got a hope, friends. We've got a hope that we go to be with God. That, that when we close our eyes on this life, we open our eyes and we're in the presence of God. We don't mourn like those who have no hope. I shared a few weeks back that uh, earlier this year, I lost both of my parents uh, in the space of just a few months. And whilst I have mourned and whilst I have grieved their loss and the fact that, you know, there's some things that I want to just text my mum sometimes and say, hey, look at what the kids are doing or whatever. I don't mourn like those who have no hope. Because when they were in their late 30s or early 40s, when I was a small child, they came to know Jesus. They came to see him as their king and saviour. They threw themselves on his mercy, despite the fact they'd lived a life of rebellion against him. They came to know him as their saviour. And so I'm, I don't mourn as someone who's got no hope. Because they're with Jesus now. They're in paradise with him. They're with him, friends, and there's no regrets. They gave their all to him. They, they, they made their life all about him. And so there's no regrets. And so when you, when you lose a loved one who knows Jesus, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. We know that their joy is just beginning. The, the, the good stuff is just beginning. Paradise is the place where Jesus is. 
And some dear friends in the church bought me a, a photo frame, and it's, I put a photo of my parents in there. And the photo frame says, No eye has seen, and no ear has heard, and no mind has comprehended what God has got planned for those who love Him. He's got good stuff ahead. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind could even comprehend how good it's going to be. Paradise is the place where Jesus is. And one day he will return to earth. And at that point, God will make all things new. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be a physical realm. And we in that physical realm, those who have trusted in Jesus will be given new bodies and we will work and rest and play and laugh and enjoy Jesus. And we'll have gifts to bring and we'll have things to do. And it's not going to be sitting around on clouds playing harps. It's going to be a physical universe and it's going to be glorious. And this is what one writer says, we'll at last begin the chapter, chapter one of the great story that no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is more glorious than the last. That's what we're going to begin, friends, at that point. What, how could it possibly get better and better and better? How could it possibly be that the, the last chapter is... is, is Succeeded by a chapter that's even more glorious. How could that possibly be? It's because Jesus is there. And Jesus is the joy of heaven. And when Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, the word we we emphasize is not paradise, but with me. Because Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. Being with him forever is the thing that makes heaven great. I want to ask you this question. Would you want to be in heaven free of suffering and pain if Jesus was not there? Would you want to be there? What could possibly be better than being with Jesus? Could you be satisfied with anything short of being with Jesus? You see, the first criminal, he wanted comfort and Jesus was a means to an end. The second criminal wanted Jesus. He wanted Jesus. Eternity, as I say, is not sitting around on clouds playing harps. The great writer C.S. Lewis had a friend who was giving him some stick about uh, traditional views of heaven. And he said this, C.S. Lewis said this, There is no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want to spend eternity playing harps. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. He's getting the claws out here, isn't he? All the scriptural imagery, harps, crowns, gold, etc., is, of course, a merely symbolic attempt to express the inexpressible. Musical instruments are mentioned because for many people, music is the thing known in the present life which most strongly suggests ecstasy and infinity. Crowns are mentioned to suggest the fact that those who are united with God in eternity share his splendor and power and joy. Gold is mentioned to suggest the timelessness of heaven because gold does not rust and the preciousness of it. People who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Jesus told us to be like doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs. (laughs) This is going to be glorious, infinite, weighty. It's going to be far beyond what we can even think up. It's going to be greater than we can imagine. 
The best truly is yet to come. This is what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. I wonder if you are so eagerly anticipating this that you're hurrying it along. You're saying, I can't wait, Jesus. I can't wait for this new heaven and new earth. I can't wait. The Bible ends with that picture as if to reiterate to us, anticipate this. Anticipate this new uh, creation that God is going to bring about. It's going to be glorious. The best really is yet to come. We haven't reached our peak happiness. You haven't reached your peak happiness. You might look back to a time in your life and think, oh, those were the good days. Summer of 69, those were the best days of my life. You might be looking back to those days and thinking, oh, I wish I could go back there. This shows us that the best is yet to come. You have not reached your peak happiness. You've come, you've come nowhere close because you're going to rejoice in the presence of Jesus forever with no suffering and no sin and new glorious bodies and stuff to do that's going to be amazing. The, you have not even come close to your peak happiness. Paradise is on the way. All of this because Jesus didn't save himself. When they said, if you really are the son of God, save yourself. All of this because Jesus didn't save himself so that he could save you and I. The ill-deserving ones. All because he hung there. He endured the cross for you and I. And as the sky blackened for three hours, it was as if the, the wrath of God, the, the right anger of God towards our sin was concentrated on him. He endured that for us. And the temple in the, in, in the center of the, the city, which was the epicenter of worship, and this curtain in it which separated normal people from the holy of holies, the holiest place, was torn in two, showing us that once and for all, the way has been made for us to know the presence of God day by day, and one day to enter into his perfect presence. That was what was accomplished on the cross by our King Jesus that was done for us. And as Jesus hangs there, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And his prayer gets answered, doesn't it? This criminal comes to faith in him. The soldier who an hour or two before was leading the torture and the execution, he says, surely this man was righteous and he worships him. People go away beating their chests, knowing there's something not right has happened today. And weeks later, many hundreds of them giving their lives to Jesus at Pentecost. <laughs> Jesus' prayer gets answered. And his prayer's been answered again and again with dozens of you here in the room. What about you today? If you're here today, if you're watching on at home, are you going to give your life to this Jesus are you going to throw yourself on his mercy? Are you going to say, Jesus, you're my king? Or are you going to rail against him all your life? There's an opportunity. We're going to finish today by having bread and juice in these 
little cups which we're looking forward to ditching when we can. <laughs> but we're going to enjoy just taking this moment to remember Jesus was there for us, that he hung there for us, that he bled for us, that his body was broken for us, so that we could know that the best really is yet to come. We can know him in this life. We can know him close to us in this life. We can know his presence in this life. We can know his hope in this life. And we can know him forever in eternity. So the band are going to come and play. We're going to just pray in small groups. Maybe if you're a couple or with a friend or with a child, just, just spend some time praying. We're not going to rush away. We're going to worship Jesus. This is a merciful God. It's not too late for you. You maybe think you've messed up and you're beyond saving. It's not too late for you. If it wasn't too late for this man in his dying breath on the cross who never went to church in his life, it's not too late for you. You can give yourself wholly to this Jesus today. Why don't you even do that as we hear the music as others are taking the bread and the juice. And if you've made that response today in your heart, you can also take part in this meal. You can take the bread and the juice. And remember, Jesus' body broken for you and his blood spilt for you. Let's just stay seated as we are. Let's not be passive in this time. Let's pray. It's great to have a murmur of prayer around the room. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you did this for us. Lord Jesus, we have so many times railed against you, railed against the perfect one, and yet you have outrageous mercy for us. I pray that right now as we take this bread and we take this juice, that we would rejoice in what you did for us on the cross, this history-changing moment. Thank you, Lord. You are here by your Spirit. Would you come and lift our hearts, lift our spirits to who you are, even as we, even as we take this. Lord, we want to consecrate ourselves afresh to you. We we'll say it's all about you. We want to give ourselves again to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your body broken and your blood spilt for us, for our cleansing. Thank you, Lord. Just where you are, just begin to thank God. You can take the bread and the juice. Just begin to thank him. Let's have a murmur of prayer and thanksgiving around the room. Let's not hold back. Let's give our lives to him in light of his mercy, in view of his mercy. Let's give our all to him once more. Thank you, Lord.